name is Bill Roberts, and welcome to another exclusive cart.ca podcast featuring Ophira Kaloff, curatorial lead for the 2022 Real Abilities Film Festival Toronto, and an award-winning disability arts practitioner with a list of awards and recognitions that are really long. Glad to have you here, Ophira. And Lisa Clarkson, Executive Director of Business and Rights for CBC English Media, and the executive person for Abilacrew, a CBC resource group for employees with disabilities. And Lisa, you're a founder of the CBC's CAPE, capital C, capital A, capital P, capital E, placement program for professionals with disability. Welcome, Lisa. Welcome, Ophira. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Nice to have you here. We're here today to talk about a hugely important national CBC initiative called Access CBC for deaf and disabled creators, developed in partnership with Real Abilities Film Festival Toronto, and launched back on January 5th of this year. And we should note that according to the Rick Hansen Foundation and other places you can get this information, that one in five Canadians are living with a disability. Very important uh, initiative. And Access CBC, as I understand it, provides training, mentorship, and on select projects, which we'll get to, I guess, later, uh, financing support to create scripted and documentary screen-based content. And the deadline for applications and submissions was January 31st. I believe that was an extension. So roughly 12, you know, six months ago, right? More or less, six months, yeah. That's it. And Access CBC is not only a groundbreaking pilot project, but a major step forward in increasing career opportunities for creators, too often excluded from our media industry due to access barriers and pretty big challenges, I'd say. Before we get into Access CBC per se, Lisa, can we share with our cart.ca audience or our listeners kind of get them up to speed on other CBC initiatives for people with a disability that may well have paved the way for Access CBC? Oh, that's an excellent question. I'll try and do this quickly because there's a lot. Just taking a little step back, what our goal is, what our aim is at CBC is to be a leader in accessibility propelled by the experiences and stories and involvement of people with a disability. With that as our aim, we've done a number of things all of which have been really fueled by people with disabilities. So the first thing is Abilacrew. You mentioned that in setting the context for who I am and how I am responsible for some of our uh, initiatives connecting to people with disabilities. Abilacrew is a collection of employees at CBC. They came together themselves. They're our first employee resource group. And they're people with a disability and their allies. That happened in 2016. Their goal was to support one another, but also to share with us in CBC and CBC management their perspectives, their take on what we're doing and what we're not, and how it worked or didn't work for them. So that really was foundational, I think, for a lot of the things that came after that. We've got a bill crew, and then you mentioned also the CAPE program. We're in our fifth year of that. That came in 2018. And for your listeners, I'd say watch our website in June. That's when we post the various positions for CAPE. Through the CAPE program, we bring in professionals with disabilities 
have them here for six months and listen to and learn from them and also give them additional experience in their craft. So that's every June? That's every June for the last five years. It's a program that... As you say, I was involved in at the ground level. We're so incredibly proud of it. And I just want to say that 60% of the people that came through that program are employed in some way at CBC. So I will just say two other things, just in terms of setting the groundwork for that idea around being the leader in accessibility, but propelled by people with with, uh, disabilities. We've got those internal programs. Of course, CBC, we work with lots of external creators. That's how we get approximately half of our programming in prime time. When we look externally, we've done a couple of things. One is we've set requirements and made commitments around working with underrepresented groups. So in 2019, Catherine Tate made a commitment that one out of every our key creatives on our independent shows would come from an underrepresented group, including people with a disability. We met that in 2020-2021. Then in 2021, you may have heard about the commitment we made that 30% of our key creatives will be from those underrepresented groups. Those are a couple of things that we've done in order to spotlight people with a disability. And they really did set the stage for what comes next, which is Access CBC. Great. Thanks, Lisa. Ophira, I was reading that recently you launched the inaugural Accessible Writers Lab with the CMF, Canada Media Fund, and AMI, Access Media, Inc., which is a pretty cool organization too. Can you tell us a bit about this experimental program that you've designed? It sounds really neat. Thank you. It's definitely a passion project that I'm very excited about. The idea of the Accessible Writers Lab was in part inspired by by Access CBC. Conversations about the two programs sort of started happening at a similar point in time. And really we're in in response to this idea of how, how do we address some of the barriers inherent with the Canadian television industry and sort of across the board, the entertainment industry. You know, it was spurred by, there was a Writers Guild of Canada Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Report. There have been two iterations of it now, but the most recent iteration found that only 0.3% of Guild membership identified as a person with a disability. Writers with disabilities only accounted for 1% of writers working in TV across Canada, which when we put that in mind with the stat you mentioned off the top of one in five Canadians live with a disability, that's really glaring. And likely it means two things. Likely it means that there are some writers who are working in film and TV, who are disabled, who have invisible disabilities, who don't feel comfortable enough or empowered to disclose their experiences and to be able to, to access the, the structures and frameworks and supports that might make their pathway a little bit easier. And also that there are so many barriers in structure, communication style, format, attitudinal barriers, so many that keep writers who do identify as being disabled, whether they have a choice in doing so, whether it's an invisible or visible disability out of our TV writers' rooms, out of being able to sort of shape our stories and culture and conversations in that way. You know, we, we really started brainstorming, okay, so what do we do about it? What what are some of the tangible things that we can, can look to? And something we kept circling back on 
was realizing that, and I could speak for myself, I'm disabled, I'm a writer. And because I've worked so hard to navigate in programs and sort of catch up and find my way and carve a way out, I haven't necessarily had that much time to figure out what an ideal process for myself would be. So if someone asked me, oh, what do you need? What would make this more accessible for you? I might kind of freeze a little bit and say, oh, I don't actually know. I haven't really had the time to to play around with that and think about it. And that's for me as an individual. But if I'm working with someone who has very different access needs from my own, what does that mean for us to work together? What's our ideal length of day, our ways of pitching stories, our ways of formatting? What kind of software works for people who are engaging with it through screen reader technology or through interpreters and support workers? How do we do that work together? And then once we have that space to discover this, how do we bring that insight and knowledge back into the industry? This experimental process is going to give us some space to play around and create a best practices and case study report at the end, working with industry showrunners as well to bring that forward. And Ophira, do you see some of this work leading to content that's scheduled on and programmed with Accessible Media Inc.? So this specific project is about process. So the goal is not specifically content. The hope is that this leads to more writers working across the industry as a whole. On to this amazing Access CBC project. There's a great deal to cover in this podcast, including this week's pretty exciting announcement of 21. I guess it was originally 20, but now 21. Access CBC participants. Can you both please tell us a little bit about how this initiative came together and about the partnerships involved. But the one thing I'm going to say is that there's a constellation of things that need to happen, whether or not it's for CBC or the industry to get to our goals. Ophira talked about uh, the new program that they're doing with AMI and CMF. And this program that we're talking about, Access CBC, is about content. So that's the piece exactly that you're raising, but you need all those pieces in order to move us forward. So I just did want to set us up with that. In terms of how Access CBC came to be, if you think back to what I was saying around Abilicru then seeded the CAPE program, our employees with disabilities seeded the CAPE program, and it was really through those discussions with them that I started thinking, what are we doing for external creators and writers? And I was very mindful of that step that Ophira mentioned around the WGC's 0.3% and under 1% of writers had self-declared as a disability. And I thought, what can we do about that? And a little bit of unusual for CBC cart before the horse, I went to Barb Williams and asked her for money to start a program. And she gave it to me without just based on that idea. I had the money. I had the idea. What was the next step? I went then to the programmers because it's not going to work a content program without the programmers obviously takes you nowhere. So I went to Sally Cato's group. I want to do a shout out to Ty Hyland and Justine Fung. Went to them. Started just trying to ideate. Well, what might that look like? What do we need scripted and unscripted? I'd say at that point, lo and behold, as we talked about it, we recognized that we didn't need one thing. 
as I say, there's a lot of things that are needed. We didn't need one thing. We needed two things, uh, one for scripted and one for unscripted in the form of doc. We started thinking along those lines, thinking what we might need. Uh, we came up with the idea of the name Access CBC, which it's still the notion, the unifying notion is that we will improve access, remove barriers for people with a disability. It needs to be propelled by people with a disability. And so it was really at that juncture when we're brainstorming, we thought, wait a minute, we need to partner with an organization that has deep experience with disability communities that uh, understands the perspective. And it was really at that point in time, early on, that we went to Ophir and Real Abilities, bounced some of our ideas off them, and I'll let Ophir take it from that point. I'll say from, from my perspective, personally, as well as from Raftio, the Real Abilities Film Festival of Toronto, we were so excited to have this conversation and to hear about this program. This is the first of its kind at the CBC, but it's also the first of its kind industry-wide. There really haven't been specific opportunities for disabled creators. You know, within Raftio, we really ascribe to the social adapted model of disability, which understands that disability results from social, environmental, and attitudinal barriers. So as opposed to a medical model where it's sort of a personal impairment, disability results from our social frameworks. And so what that means is that often the default is inaccessible because that is what causes disability. And so to have a program like this, we felt like it was this opportunity for sort of the shared learning process for a lot of creators with disabilities to start forming these relationships and connections and find pathways within the industry, but also to, to start that process of, well, what does it look like to yeah. create a program yeah. that genuinely supports these creators and meaningfully engages with multiple facets of the community. So we've determined sort of the general reasons why there are two streams, I guess 10 participants and 10 and 10 equals 21 in this context. Uh, so the scripted stream and the short documentary stream, but can we dig a little deeper about why these two genres? Why, why not unscripted, for example? I would say short documentaries are unscripted. Okay. That's certainly how we approach it. And the reason that even right from the beginning, we realized that there were different streams that were needed. There were sort of two driving factors. One was, if you think about the skills and the steps in the process, that are needed to capture a documentary, something that's happening in real life. That looks a lot different than scripted, where you're basically, obviously, making up everything from scratch. What are your characters? What is your narrative arc? Where is it going to be? What are their motivations? All of the things. So that was reason one. And I think the other reason really was, I'm going to say, an impatience on our part to start seeing some of this content see the light of day. On the scripted side, you well know that, gosh, it takes years and years and years for something to go from concept to execution. It's very complicated. There's so many steps and stages. Whereas a short doc, the destination for which is CBC Gem is a lot faster of a turnaround. And so it was really that impatience as well from concept to screen that we wanted to start seeing some of these things out Results. There. That's right. And we wanted our audiences, importantly, 
one in five of which have a disability, we wanted them also to start seeing things. It was really that that motivated not just the two streams, but also the architecture of the streams. What we thought as we collaborated with Real Abilities, what they also thought would work for creators with a disability in both of those two areas. Tell us a bit about the scripted program and what you were looking for in terms of the successful participants, perhaps eligibility criteria, application requirements, those that sort of thing. And, and they were paid a stipend of $2,500 each too. And what, what was that for? I'll first say that in terms of the eligibility criteria, that was quite a discussion. Um, we really put a lot of thought and intention into this question of wondering who this program was for. And a lot of that centered around this idea of market readiness, because the concept of market readiness can mean many things in different contexts, but often a key component involves sort of a creator in their concept being able to navigate the industry as it currently stands as independently as possible, which again is not necessarily the case for someone with a disability. Often we communicate in different ways, require different forms of support, really prioritize interdependence. Some of the hallmarks that can mark something as professional might be actually grounded in some forms of ableism. So for example, there's a line of, oh, if there's a typo on an email, then clearly someone isn't taking something seriously. But if someone's using voice-to-text technology, trust me, there is going to be a typo. It is pretty impossible to avoid. We really wrestled with this idea, played around with how we could address this feeling of professionalism and how that in itself can be a barrier. Came to really focus on story and creators. And we took sort of this two-pronged approach of both offering folks could submit in whatever format works for them. So some people had just an interview with us and chatted and we took down notes and sent back those notes to them and saw how that fits. And we'd go back and forth with their applications. Some people signed their application in ASL. Some people completed a Google form and audio recording. And we also really emphasized making sure that we weren't evaluate, evaluating these applications on those hallmarks of sort of format and structure and really getting to the core of what are these stories, who are these creators, what are they bringing forward. To address the question about, about payments, it's so, so essential to pay, I believe, all creators for their time, but especially within the disability community, the majority of the disability community lives far below the poverty line. And in order to be able to take the time to participate in a program like this, to both gain skills, but also offer their own perspectives and experience and develop their content is something that a lot of people would not be able to engage in unless it was a paid opportunity. And that's something that on the real ability side, we're both passionate about and also really, really proud that that was able to come together. Can you tell us a bit about the short documentary stream? I think I understand that there is or will be one documentary selected for production and all 10 received a $6,000 development deal? It's 11 filmmakers, yes. Okay. But uh, just before I do that, I just want to just skip back a little bit to the scripted program and what was in that program. We were looking and, and Ophir did an excellent job at sort of sharing the, the discussion around how do you 
get the materials in terms of looking at them and then judging them ultimately for whoever is the successful participant. I think it's interesting to highlight the program design. And when I was talking about how different the sort of scripted program was from the unscripted, what we did for the scripted program was helmed by Gossia Camella and Sarah Kwan at CBC. They brought in experts, but the focus was a series of workshops that really delved into the pitch because the pitch is important because that is the thing you take around, whether or not it's to CBC or anybody else. That's the thing that gets you in the door. If your pitch is no good, you're not getting in the door. Oh, it was a series of workshops. There was one on the written pitch. There was one on a verbal pitch. A different workshop was on the visual pitch. Different workshop was on pitching to an agent. And then those workshops, which have happened, launched by a session with Gossia and Sarah around the participants. What do they think? What, how, how do they find it's useful? That idea of being propelled by the feedback that we're getting from Real Abilities, from Abilicrew, and also from the participants themselves. And then the last piece, which is in process, is one-on-ones. So I just say that that was the architecture of scripted workshops and why we approached it in that way. The approach on the short doc side was very different. We were looking for a concept to be pitched a concept. And the idea was that each of the successful applicants would be paired with a mentor from CBC. They would work intensively. And then the final product, which is hasn't come in yet, August 15th, will be a formal treatment and depends on the project, some other things. Uh, Afira, I'm sure, has some things to add about, you know, the, the, the process and the eligibility. But the contract itself, we looked at again from the perspective of, are we being simple enough for everybody? We held some workshops on what those contracts look like, but generally it's the regular development process that we go through with a short doc. We did those sessions with the creators. And the other thing that I think is worthy of note, and I'd say for anyone in the audience that's thinking of pitching us a short doc, look at Real Ability's description of the list of what we were looking for, because we didn't stop at, oh, well, you know, you need a short doc with a strong concept. There's a whole list of the type and examples from CBC Gem. Yeah. So diversity. Yeah, quite a long list. No, uh, that's right. I, I actually brought it with me because I won't do it justice because it was written beautifully. Provoke conversation, capture an important moment in time in a unique way, shed light on hidden worlds. Like mm-hmm. it was it really was an attempt by our creatives. And in that case, Jessica Schmietchen led that with uh, Yasmin Abbasakor of bringing to life. What is it when you say concept and contemporary? What do you really mean? So giving examples really to help shine mm-hmm. a light on that. So that was really the difference in execution and intention of those two streams for the short docs, development to August 15th. Then the creative team will pick one to go into production, which we hope will be in production in early next year. The mention of workshops, Ophira, did I did I see somewhere that you conducted a workshop along the lines of what Lisa was describing in Calgary? I've done a couple of different workshops. I have I wear a few different hats. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to wrestle with that. 
I personally wrestle with it constantly. I sort of have the facilitation and consulting and accessibility side, but I also do work within storytelling and uh, disability narratives and and work on on facilitation as well. Well, uh, just just a little uh, parenthesis here. The feedback I got on the Calgary workshop was that it was excellent. So whatever it was, it was good. Ophira and Lisa. (laughs) Thank you. Um, let's not bury the lead here. So uh, Access CBC, tell us about those 21, originally 20 successful participants and both how and why they were chosen, please. And uh, who are they and why did they make the cut and what have they been working on? High level, you know, detail on the, the successful candidates it was a really interesting process. On the scripted side, uh, we had 150 applicants. Oh. 109 went to the juried process. And what were we looking for? Oh, we're looking for what we always look for. Who had the best, most, most authentic voices? The uh, applications were split into groups. Uh, there was discussion and debate. Some of the groups involved people from Abilicru and uh, other aspects of CBC. And the successful candidates... Uh, came from a whole variety of uh, backgrounds and experiences. The majority were had intersectional backgrounds, BIPOC and LGBTQ2+. They had a range of experience levels. Some had less experience. Some had quite a lot of experience. The types of stories that they were telling, and I can't get into that too much because though that's their property and they're still developing it, but huge range. So small town policing, everyday life, you know, paranormal type stories. So a real range of types and different stories that were told. So that's on the unscripted side. Maybe I'll turn it to Ophir if she wants to add something. Uh, something that I'll say, I was lucky enough to get to sort of see all of the applications as they came in. So I will strongly echo Lisa's point that decisions were tough. There were so many exciting stories and narratives and really just goes to show how many how many voices and creators and, and stories are out there. Something that I'll say with, I, this applies to both scripted and in the short doc side. These are constant and stories that really have not been seen. And I mean that not just in the narratives of the stories, some of some of that is true for the narratives, but also some of the ways in which these creators are looking to tell their stories, some of the processes that they're looking to weave in for short docs in their productions or scripted if they were to, to develop to that stage are really, really innovative and exciting. And often not something that is, you know, necessarily the centerpiece, just a product of of their creation style, which is really, really amazing to see. On the short doc side, the story is a little bit the same in the sense of just to pick up something Ophira said, the response and the caliber of what came in, incredible, Hmm. incredible. In fact, the programming team level, so on the short docs, Uh, 60 applications came in and the team says to me that the vast majority, actually, they could have gone with any of them. That's incredible, especially from the programmers. So what happened in that case for the short docs is that there were nine on the jury, including, again, some ability crew. They, I don't want to say they fought, but they debated over which should be the the successful 10. 
and the hours and hours of debates, very spirited debates. I wasn't in the room. Everyone was vying for the one that ones that they thought were should be the ones to, to move on. And I think from my perspective, when you look at the 60, all but one, we had not worked with those creators before. So again, really, really important about the program connecting us with people that we had not worked with before. And 60 of them. You know, if anyone ever says, hey, well, you know what? I really want to work with creators with a disability, but there just aren't people out there. Not true. And this program proves it. So that's just about the volume. I will say in terms of there was a big range of experience. Again, majority were intersectional. The tone, very varied. Uh, Some joyous, some funny, some somber. So as you would expect, different tone. All those debates I told you about. They couldn't agree on 10, so we did 11. That's why it's 21. All right, so that's how we have 21. I think I established it by counting on my fingers that you're about six months into this project. Have either of you or have you collectively modified the goals for Access CBC? And by that, I mean, is, is the program meeting all of the original expectations, exceeding some of the original expectations? Is everything excellent or have there been a couple of hiccups, things, some learning experiences? Uh, you know, can you talk a bit to that? I can chime in quickly and then pass it over to you. I think accessibility is inherently always a learning process. I often get asked within my work as consulting, like, oh, do you have a checklist? Like something we can just look at and make sure we're covering all of our bases. We can then put the title, this is fully accessible. We know that we are including everyone. And the fact of the matter is, is that access is so fluid. It's individual. It changes day to day. It changes depending on the situation. It's relational. One person's needs can affect another person's needs. If one person has a migraine and another person needs to make a lot of noise, how do you move forward and find the way for for those connections to move forward? And so I think an inherent process of any program like this is that there is constant, constant learning. And there's constant, you, you think you make the plan based off of your experience, you get into the room, and then there's something you haven't thought of. And part of the joy for me, mostly because truly I love access, I really, really get excited about these challenges, is being able to work through them in real time. And I think that that's happened a lot in this program. There have been so many learnings and so many moments of like, oh, okay, we, we anticipated that this kind of support would be the thing. It looks like it's not the thing. What do we do? How do we move forward? How do we shift and adapt? So on my end, that's definitely been, been an exciting, challenging, and also rewarding part of the process. Pick up that point that Ophir just made is if you launch a pilot and you're not learning, you're doing something wrong. I will say there's been lots of learning with the teams. This podcast is a great thing to also share the learnings out because that's also part of what we wanted to do. I'd say that on, you know, is the program meeting its goals? I would say that, yes, it is, especially around access. Have we improved access to creatives with a disability? Yes. Aside from the applications and things, we know in this industry, I mean, you you did a shout out to Barb. The fact is that it is a relationships-based industry. And so part of that access is those mentoring, intense mentoring relationships, is the exposure to different people and the learned experience on both sides. So I'd say in that respect, 
It's absolutely met the goals. It obviously, in terms of the applications we got in, we didn't know what we would get. The two other things I, I'd share is that it's not over yet. We do have a number of stages that are happening both in the summer and the fall. Uh, we want to wait and see and have that that play out. Circle underline is that we want to get the feedback of the participants, et cetera, about how they felt. They Do they think it was meaningful? They think it was useful? And so that's really a foundational piece for us as we are propelled by people with a disability. Did it meet your needs? Because if it didn't, Obviously, we hope it did, but if it didn't, then we'll have to make some changes. So what, Lisa, is one practical learning so far in this process for you? Two things. One was that I think that we were a bit ambitious in the timing. Like if I think about the scripted workshops, originally we had sort of had them going bang, bang, bang weekly. And that really does not leave you time to ingest the feedback, adjust as Ophira was talking about. That I think sticks out for me as one of the takeaways. And I think the other thing, and this is true of this program, it's true of all of my work connected to accessibility is that uh, you think you're talking about accessibility, and that's true. Whatever you do and adjust, it makes change for everyone. I mean, we at CBC, we want to welcome stories from everyone, from all sorts of groups, particularly ones that have been un underrepresented, reducing the barriers for people connecting with us, applying. That works for everyone, whether or not it's on the programming side, the creative side, or on the, that one of my other hats on the business side, you know, how do we connect with people and make sure that there's a common understanding mm -hmm. of what's needed? So I'd say that continues to be an important lesson that I like to say. I, I think sometimes people can relegate some of these things to a, a corner in a box. And it's not true. And we need to get better at really expressing that. So, okay. so, so, so that's what I'd say. Ophira, I referenced earlier, there are pages of things that you've done that are really exciting and, and award-winning and, and you know, truly exceptional. In there somewhere, there was this kind of clause that said that you work to crypt the script. And I thought that was great. But I'd like you to, if you could please, expand a bit on that crypt the script notion uh, for our cart.ca listeners and, and why that's so important. I mean, I have some thoughts, but I want to hear them from you. Again, something that I that I care a lot about. The word crypt is a word that's really in the process of, of being reclaimed by facets of the disability community. And to me, it means centering disability knowledge and experience as a creative force, as something exciting and powerful and generative. So when I talk about cripping the script, I'm really talking about the different ways that we can challenge, reframe, and reclaim language, systems, our stories, structures and even physically our spaces to center disability and chronic identities experiences. And that means if we take that into an artistic context, which is where I spend most of my time, that means it's often when we think of art and accessibility, there's the idea that we build something. So let's say it's a short film. We create the short film of our dreams and, you know, create it alongside the ways in which short films have typically been created and then at the end say, wait a minute, how do we make it accessible? And then maybe throw on some captions, maybe make um, an audio description track. And those are great and those are wonderful. And I'm a huge fan of both of those things. But when I talk about cripping the script, I mean that from the very beginning of the process, we're thinking about how do we sort of harness 
disability knowledge and experience as an inherent part of this artistic process. So how does that affect the ways in which we film? How does that affect the stories that we're telling? How does that affect, you know, maybe instead of captioning being put in at the end, maybe there's a way to integrate that throughout the filming process artistically as a core part of the film. Maybe audio description is woven into the script itself. There's endless possibilities depending on the project. And it's something that that I get really excited about. So I'll stop talking there. In a nutshell for my little brain here, it's about centering disability knowledge and experience through the process, the production and the presentation of content. Exactly. To be honest, shortcoming on my part, I didn't know much about Real Abilities Film Festival Toronto. I should have known more. But I understand that it's the Canadian chapter of the largest film festival in North America dedicated to promoting awareness uh, awareness and appreciation of the lives and stories and expressions of people with disabilities. What else should I know? What else should the cart.ca audience know about, as you say, RAFTO? Are there accessible screenings? Is it a year-round program? Tell us more so that we can do better. Originally started in New York and now there's chapters across the world and in many different parts and the Toronto one is the only chapter in Canada currently and the mandate is exactly what you said to promote deaf and disability cultures through film, uplifting intersectional perspectives from the communities and spotlighting overall the work from Canadian deaf and disabled creatives and that comes through in collaborations with community partners sponsors and sort of through this work ultimately being a film festival and wanting to platform content we realized very quickly that there are a lot of threads that come out of that and so there's an annual film festival, but we also provide and facilitate networking and professional development opportunities year-round, hands-on workshops, funder panels. We also focus on modeling and innovating accessible screening practices, both at our festival, but we also work in advocating for the adoption of those practices through the entire film festival world. We provide consultation and support. And I want to do a specific shout out to Real Education, which is the educational arm of the festival festival that brings films and workshops and conversations about disability and difference to K-12 classrooms across the city and country year-round. So there's a real education festival. There's also year-round programming. And we work directly with educators to provide accessible lesson kits that specifically meet curriculum requirements and tailor workshops to classes and students. So there's sort of platforming films professional developments, industry advocacy, and specific education, working within the education system along with outside of it. And Ophira, is there a website that people can turn to? There is raftio, so R-A-F-F-T-O dot C-A is the website for the festival. It's new, it's pretty, and it's screen reader friendly. So Lisa, we're getting near the end of our podcast. We're not at the end, but we're getting near. What are the takeaways from, well, for the CBC as an organization of this project. I can probably deal with this kind of quickly because, well, three things. One is that we're not at the end of the process yet. We want to get that feedback. We'll have a better sense of the takeaways in the fall. The second is the, the two things I mentioned really that there is a phenomenal wealth of creators with a disability that are out there and ready to be tapped into. So this is really proof of concept. And then the third thing is around lessons learned 
need to be shared and are broadly applicable to every aspect of what CBC does to creatively connect and to connect on the programming business side with creators more generally. Anything to add, Afira? What should the CBC have as takeaways? No, I mean, I think that's great, right? The idea that accessibility is a process, it's a framework, not the start of CBC's work with accessibility, certainly not the end either, which is a hopeful and exciting thing. Lisa, you're a guest speaker on media and content and you know related topics at numerous conferences and festivals and universities. I think the last place I saw you on the schedule was the Banff World Media Festival, where you were speaking to, I think it was it Pays to Go Green and Sustainable Production. Are you going to be integrating talking points coming out of Access CBC into what you share with a, a more general public personally? Yeah, a couple of things connected to that. You know, if you look at the UN's definition of sustainability is that all of these things intersect. I'm just going to say that. And, you know, if you look at environmental sustainability and the unfortunate path that we're going down currently is that it has a disproportionate impact on people from the disability communities and other uh, underrepresented groups. So I'm going to say that there actually is a coherence to it. I come back to that idea that we need to listen. One of the things through the accessibility work and this program that I know for sure, it's not about Lisa Ann's talking points. It's about how I listen and how not just I listen, but how I amplify and put into action what people from the disability community are telling me. That's been my role as the executive sponsor of Abilacrew for the last six years. That's been my role in other initiatives. That is what I'd say. And when I do that, when I listen, my takeaway is that there's a lot more work to be done. There is an article in Forbes in 2021 from a disability advocate. That person talked about disability on screen and their comment was, there's a lot of activity happening. Disabilities in the corner and we've got to get it out of the corner. My hope is that Access CBC is one small piece of that, a piece, but an important piece. Ophira, anything to add? I was lucky enough to be part of a lot of the onboarding calls with the participants. The majority of those onboarding calls, we set aside half an hour to sort of chat through the program and the logistics. And most ended up being at least an hour because we were so excited at the chance just to connect. From my perspective as a writer and working within access in the industry, I often can feel kind of alone in it, like I'm chipping away and working in a bit of a silo. I think this program echoing a point from Lisa earlier that you can't say that there aren't so many creators. And this was just the folks who were ready with a concepts idea in the specific application period. The talent is there and the importance of that community building, that opportunity for us to share ideas, exchange our learnings and processes and experiences is a really huge takeaway from this, something that can sometimes be undervalued of, oh yeah, friends are nice. The community is essential. TV is a collaborative medium. So um, on that note, Ophira and Lisa, uh, what's next for Access CBC and what's 
ideally or practically next for the successful participants? Mm -hmm. On Access CBC, what's next is that for the short docs, August 15th, we look at the pitches and the participants are going to be given an opportunity if they wish to do a verbal pitch that will happen between mid-August and September a successful project will be chosen, that project will go into production. So that's what's happening there. On the scripted side, the piece of the workshops that's not quite done yet is the one-on-ones with all of the participants that's happening and will continue to happen during the month of August. And we'll grab the results of both of those pieces and do a post-mortem, what worked, what didn't, et cetera. So that's what's next for Access CBC. What needs to happen, there are a lot of exciting things happening. Disability Screen Office, which we haven't touched on, is in the process of being assembled by AMI, involved in some of those conversations. That's a really exciting time. I think there are a lot of different things that are going to be next, whether or not it's Access CBC or about some of the other programs and initiatives that are being driven and led by CBC or being driven and led by our partners like Real Abilities. Ophira? You, what's next? Echoing all of that, I think already Access CBC has influenced programming. I mentioned how some of the the learnings and processes have impacted the Accessible Writers Lab. Even directly at the Real Abilities Film Festival, we put together an accessible production masterclass inviting international experts to chat through how to create an accessible production on set and working with a filmmaker, taking questions from the audience. And that program came about because of those onboarding discussions from participants in this program, where often we got the question of how do we make a film experience accessible to us and to the actors we might want to engage, the crew, what do we do? already that has directly influenced programming. There's so many exciting things in the realm of of disability and as Lisa mentioned, the Disability Screen Office getting pulled together, lots of partnerships on the horizon. I'm going to be blunt and say my hope is that there can be both a lot more content being created and on the scripted side, a disability-led show that has a writer's room filled with writers with disabilities and that lived experience. That's my hope of where a lot of these threads can lead us. Ophira, when do you see the Disability Screen Office coming together? Press release came out about it a bit ago and it's currently in the process of being set up. Work is definitely happening on it and even through just the process of pulling it together and the community consultations that have gone into it. Already the networking and community building that's come from it has been exponential and really impactful. Okay. And the the website? The one I mentioned earlier, raftio.ca, so R-A-F-F-T-O. Okay, now I come to the last question. What should cart.ca podcast listeners really take away from this conversation today? Just for your, your audiences. For those in your audience that are in the industry, I urge you to think about the inclusion of people with a disability. I link back to that stat that you mentioned, Bill, and Ophira's mentioned, 
that one in five people have a disability. If you don't see it reflected in your content, people with a disability aren't involved in creating your content. I cheekily say that that's science fiction that doesn't reflect reality. So that would be message to the audiences from the industry. Uh, for those that are listening that have a, are uh, deaf or disabled, and have a story to tell. I really hope that you will consider CBC as the home for your story. We want to hear your story. We want not just to remove barriers. We want to welcome you and connect with you. So we hope you'll take us up on that. Yes. I mean, tying into to this idea of just how prevalent disability is, I, I also want to say sometimes we think of disability, and I think Lisa mentioned this earlier, sort of being in the corner a little bit. And disability is something that likely is going to affect every single living human being in this world. And it might be temporary caused by an injury or illness. It might be related to aging. It might be something that's invisible. It might be very visible. Having that reflected back to us is so essential for all of us, knowing that this is an experience that we all will face. And truly, because it hasn't been reflected that much, we don't know that much about it necessarily until we live it. These processes work for all of us, make things better for all of us. And I'll take my last point just to really highlight then the importance of the intersectionality of these stories, knowing that disability is not a monolith. There are so many nuanced experiences that are affected by race, by gender, by class, by body size, sexuality, by so many elements. All of these stories need to be told and brought forward in all of our initiatives. That's something I'm really hopeful of that we're moving towards. Well, thank you so much, Ophira Kaloff of the Real Abilities Film Festival Toronto and Lisa Clarkson of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And to see this kind of partnership commitment to integrating peoples and, as Ophira refers to, storytellers of all abilities into this Canadian media industry. It's the stuff of, a, my own words, true culture of inclusion and celebration and, and represented diversity, not just diversity theoretically, but truly represented diversity. I'm Bill Roberts. This has been an exclusive cart.ca podcast. Until next time. Cheers.